Story five of A Mirror of Shalott by Robert Hugh Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story five Father Girdlestone's Tale Part one I have another raconteur for this evening, said Monsignor, as he came in to dinner on the following day, but he cannot be here till late. The rector looked up questioningly. Yes, I know, said Monsignor, unfolding his napkin, but it is a long story. It will take at least two nights, but, but it is a beauty, reverend fathers. We murmured appreciatively. I heard him tell it twenty years ago, proceeded the priest. I was a boy then. I had a bad night after it, I remember, but the first part is rather dull. The appreciative murmur was even louder. Well, then, is that settled? and we assented the entrance of father girdlestone that evening was somewhat dramatic we were all talking briskly together in our wide semicircle when father brent uttered an exclamation the talk died and i turning from my corner saw a very little old man standing behind the rector's chair motionless and smiling he was one of the smallest men not actually deformed i have ever seen small and very delicate looking his white silky hair was thin on his head but abundant over his ears his face was like thin ivory transparent and exquisitely carved his eyes so overhung that i could see nothing of them but two patches of shadow with a diamond in each and there he stood as if materialized from air beneath the folds of his ample roman cloak i beg your pardon reverend fathers he said and his voice was as delicate as his complexion i tapped but no one seemed to hear me the rector bustled up from his chair my dear father he began but monsignor interrupted a most appropriate entry father girdlestone he said you could not have made a more effective beginning he moved his hand father girdlestone he said introducing us and this is the father rector we were all standing up by now looking at this tranquil little old man and we bowed and murmured deferentially there was something very dignified about this priest then chairs were resorted i got my own again moving it against the wall watching him as with almost foreign manners he bowed this way and that before seating himself in the centre then we all sat down and after a word or two of talk he began i understand from my friend monsignor maxwell he said that you gentlemen would like to hear my story i'm very willing indeed to tell it no possible harm can follow from it and perhaps even good may be the result if ever any one who shall hear it is afflicted with the same visitation but it is a long story gentlemen and i am an old man and shall no doubt make it longer he was reassured i think by our faces and without further apology he began his tale my first and only curacy he said was in the town of cardiff i was sent there after my ordination four years before the re-establishment of the hierarchy in england and the year after our bishops were given us i was sent to found a mission inland now gentlemen i shall not tell you where that is though no doubt you will be able to find out if you desire to do so it will be enough now to describe to you the circumstances and the place it was a very little colliery village to which i went we will call it Aberquill. there was a number of irish catholics there who are as you know the most devout persons on the face of the earth 
they begged very hard for a priest and i suspect gentlemen there was collusion in the manner the bishop's chaplain had irish blood in his veins he smiled pleasantly at least there i was sent with a stipend of forty pounds and a letter of commendation and permission to beg my parishioners set at my disposal a four-roomed house standing at the outskirts of the village removed i should say forty yards from any other house behind my house was open country a kind of moor stretching over hill and dale to the mountains of brecon the colliery itself stood on the further side of the village and beneath it half a mile away of the four rooms i used one as a chapel on the ground floor then at the back was the kitchen i slept over the kitchen and used as my sitting-room and sacristy that over the chapel i will not detain you with my first experiences i have never seen such devotion and fervour my own devotion was sensibly increased by all that i heard and saw the shepherd in this case at least was taught many lessons by his sheep now the first ambition of every young priest who is worthy of the name is to build a great church to god's glory even i had this ambition i had not a great deal of work to do in fact i may say that there was really nothing to do except to say mass and office and to conduct evening devotions as i did every night in the chapel and that little chapel gentleman was full every night much of the day therefore i spent in walking and dreaming in the morning as summer came on i was accustomed to take my office book out with me and to go over the moor perhaps three hundred yards away to a little ravine where a stream went down into the valley there i would sit in the shade of a rock listening to the voice of the water and saying my prayers when i had done i would lie on my back looking up at the rock and the sky and dreaming well as every young priest dreams i do not know when it was that i first understood what god intended me to do i began by thinking of a great town where my church should stand cardiff or perhaps newport i even arranged its architecture it was to be a primitive roman basilica large and plain with a great apse with a christ in glory frescoed there on his right were to be the redeemed on his left the lost no more than that with a pair of great angels behind the throne that gentleman without text or comment has always seemed to me the greatest sermon on earth he paused and looked round us an instant well gentlemen you know what daydreaming is i even occupied my time i with forty pounds a year and thirty collier parishioners in drawing designs for my church and then suddenly on a summer's day a new thought came to me and something else with it i was lying on my back on the short grass looking up at the rock against the sky when the thought came to me that here my basilica should stand the rock should be levelled i thought to a platform the foundation should be blasted out and here my church should stand alone on the moor to witness that the demands of god's glory were dominant and sovereign yes gentlemen most unpractical and fantastic i sat up at the thought it came to me as a revelation in that instant i no more doubted that it should be accomplished than that god reigned i looked below me at the stream yes i saw it all there the stream would dash and chatter all about me were the solemn moors and here here on the rock behind me should stand my basilica and the blessed sacrament within it 
i was just about to turn to look at my rock again when something happened the old man stopped dead now gentlemen i do not know if i can make this plain to you what happened to me happened only interiorly but it was as real as a thunderclap or a vision it was this it was an absolute conviction that something was looking at me from over the top of the rock behind my first thought was that i had heard a sound then simultaneously the horn blew from the colliery a mile away and and he hesitated i was aware that this external sound was on a different plane i do not know how to make that plain to you but it was as when one's imagination is full of some remembered melody and a real sound breaks upon it the horn ceased and there was silence again then after a moment more my interior experience ceased too as abruptly as it had begun all that time three or four seconds at least i had sat still and rigid without turning my head i must describe to you as well as i can my sensations during those seconds you must forgive me for being verbose about it those who have attained to st teresa's prayer of quiet tell us that it is a new world into which they consciously penetrate a world with objects sounds and all the rest but that these are entirely incommunicable even to the brain of the percipient no adequate image or analogy can be found for these intuitions still less can they be expressed in words i suppose that this is an illustration of the truth that the kingdom of heaven is within us well gentlemen i was aware during these seconds that i was in that state that i had as it were stepped through the crust of the world of sense and even of intellectual thought what i perceived of a person watching me was not on this plane at all it was not one who in any sense had a human existence who had ever had one or ever would it did not in the least resemble therefore an apparition of the dead but the perception of this was gradual as also of the nature of the visitation of which i shall speak in a moment at first there was only the act of the entrance into my neighbourhood as of one entering a room then gradually although with great speed i perceived the nature of the visitation and the character of the visitant and again that sound if i may call it so was not that of a material object it was not a cry or a word or a movement yet it was in some way the expression of a personality shall we say he stopped again well do you know what the sound of a flame is there is not exactly a vibration not a note nor a roar nor a well nor anything well i do not think i can express it more clearly than by saying that that is the nearest analogy i can name in the world of sense it was as the note of a vivid and intense personality and it continued during that period and died noiselessly at the end like a sudden singing in the ears now i have taken the sense of hearing as the one which best expresses my experience but it was not really hearing any more than seeing or tasting or feeling it seemed to me that if it was true as scientists tell us that we have but one common sense expressing itself in five ways that common sense was indirectly affected in this intense and piercing way only beneath its own plane if i may say so 
and one thing more although this presence seemed to bring on me a kind of paralysis so that i did not move or even objectively think yet beneath my soul was aware of a repulsion and a hatred that i am entirely unable to describe as god is absolute goodness and love so this presence affected me with precisely the opposite instinct there i must leave it at that i must just ask you to take my word for it that there was present to me during those few seconds a kind of distilled quintessence of all that is not god under the aspect of a person and of a person as i have said quite apart from human existence the priest's quiet little voice speaking now even lower than he began yet perfectly articulate and unmoved ceased and i leaned back in my chair drawing a long breath again i will only speak for myself and say that he had seemed to be putting into words for the first time in my experience something which i had never undergone and which yet i recognized as simply true i doubted it no more than if he had described a walk he had taken in rome he looked round at the motionless faces then he lifted one knee on to the other and began to nurse it well gentlemen it would be about ten minutes i suppose before i stood up i looked over my shoulder before that yet knowing i should see nothing and indeed there was nothing to see but the old rock and the sky and the silhouette of the grasses against it i continued to sit there because i felt too tired to move it was a kind of complete languor that took possession of me i had no actual fear now i knew that the thing whatever it was had withdrawn itself it had whisked if i may say so out of my range as swift as a lizard who knows himself observed i knew perfectly well that it would approach more cautiously if it should ever approach me again but that for the present i need not fear there was another curious detail too i had and have now no reflex horror when i think of it you see that it had not taken place before my senses not even indeed before my intellect or my conscious powers it was completely in the transcendent sphere and therefore at least i can only suppose that this is the reason therefore when the door was shut and i was returned to my human existence i had no associations or even direct memory of the horror i knew that it had taken place but my objective imagination was not tarnished by it later it was different but i shall come to that presently there was the languor taking its rise i suppose in the very essence of my being where i had experienced and resisted the assault and this languor communicated itself to my mind just as weariness of mind communicates itself to the body then after a little rest i got up and went home it was curious also that after dining the languor had risen even higher i felt intolerably tired and slept dreamlessly in my chair the whole afternoon that then gentlemen was the beginning of my visitation it was only the beginning and to some degree it differed from its continuation 
it seemed to me later when i looked back upon it that the personality had changed its assault somewhat that at first it had rushed upon me unthinking impelled by its own passion and that afterwards it laid siege with skill and deliberation but are you sure gentlemen that i am not boring you with all this monsignor answered for us i noticed that he cleared his throat slightly before speaking <clears throat> uh, no no father uh, please go on the old priest paused a moment as if to recollect himself then still nursing his knee he began again in his quiet little voice i do not know exactly how long it was before i began to understand my danger but i think the thought first occurred to me one day during my meditation soon after my ordination i had read madame goyen's book on prayer in order to understand exactly what it was that had been condemned in quietism and i suppose it had affected me to some extent it is indeed a very subtle book and extremely beautiful at any rate i had long been accustomed to close my meditation with what she calls the awful silence in the presence of god i do not think that normally speaking there is any harm in this on the contrary for active-minded people in danger of intellectualism i think it a very useful exercise well it was one day i should think within a fortnight of my experience by the rock that i first understood that for me there was danger i was in my little chapel before the blessed sacrament everything was quite quiet the men were at work and the women in their houses it was a hot sunny morning i remember breathlessly still i had finished my formal meditation and was sitting back in my chair you all know gentlemen of course the way in which one can approach the silence before god of course the simplest can do it if they will take pains monsignor maxwell interrupted still in that slightly strained voice in which he had spoken just now oh please describe it he said the priest looked up deprecatingly well then um first i had withdrawn myself from the world of sense that takes as you know sometimes several minutes it is necessary to sink down in thought in such a manner that sounds no longer distract the attention even though they may be heard and even considered and reflected upon then the second step is to leave behind all intellectual considerations and images and that too sometimes is troublesome especially if the mind is naturally active well this day i found an extraordinary ease in both the acts father brent leaned forward may i interrupt father but i am not sure that i understand the old man pursed his lips then he glanced up at the rest of us almost apologetically well it is this my dear father how can i put it it is the introversion of the soul instead of considering this object or that either by looking upon it or reflecting upon it the soul turns inwards there are the two distinct planes on which many men especially those who pay little or no attention to the soul live continually either they continually seek distractions they cannot be devout except in company or before an image or else as indeed many do who have even the gift of recollection they dwell entirely upon considerations and mental images 
now the true introversion is beneath all this the soul sinks turning inwards upon itself there are no actual considerations at all those become in their turn as much distractions to the energy of the soul as external objects to the energy of the mind is that clearer my dear father it was all said with a kind of patient and apologetic simplicity father brent nodded pensively two or three times and dropped his chin again upon his hand the old priest went on well gentlemen as i said just now on this morning i came into the silence without an effort first the sensible world dropped away i heard a woman open and shut her door fifty yards away down the street but it was no more than a sound then almost immediately the world of images and considerations went past me and vanished and i found myself in perfect stillness for an instant it seemed to me that all was well there was that strange tranquillity all about me i cannot put it into words except by saying as all do who practise that method that it is a living tranquillity full of a very vital energy this is not of course that to which contemplatives penetrate st john of the cross makes that very plain it is no more than that in which we ought always to live it is that kingdom of god within of which our blessed lord tells us but it is not the palace itself however as i have said when one has but learnt the way there and the difficulty of doing so lies only in its extreme and singular simplicity when one has learnt the way there it is full of pleasure and consolation i remained there as my manner was drawing a long breath or two as one obliged to do i do not know why and at first all seemed well there was that peace about me which may be described under the image of any one of the five senses i prefer to think of it now as under the image of light a very radiant mellow light full of warmth and sweetness there was too just at first that sense of profound abasement and adoration which is so familiar as i said gentlemen i do not of course for an instant pretend to the gift of pure contemplation that is something far beyond then all in an instant that sense of adoration vanished now it was not that i had risen back again to meditation there were no images before my attention no reflections of any formulated kind it was still the pure perception and yet all sense of adoration and of god's majesty was gone the light and the peace were still there but but not god then i perceived if i may say so that something was on the point of disclosure it was as if something was about to manifest itself i perceived that the light was not as it had been it was like that strange vivid sunlight that we see sometimes when a heavy cloud is overhead that is the only way in which i can express it it is for that reason that i called it light rather than sound or touch for an instant still i hesitated the thought of what had happened to me by the rock never came to my mind and with inconceivable swiftness the process passed on to use an auditory metaphor for a moment it was like the change of an orchestra 
the minor note steals in a blight passes over the character of the sound and simultaneously the volume increases the chords expand tearing the heart with them and the listener perceives that a moment later the climax will break in thunder he had raised his voice a little by now his eyes glanced this way and that though still without a trace of self-consciousness then again his voice dropped well gentlemen before that final moment came i had remembered the vision of the rock and the chatter of the stream was before me sharp as a landscape under lightning i do not know what i did but i was aware of making a kind of terrified effort my soul sprang up as a diver who chokes under water and in an instant the whole thing was gone then i became aware that my eyes were open and that i was standing up i was still terrified by the suddenness of the experience and stood there saying something aloud to our lord in the tabernacle then i heard the door open behind me did you cry out father said bridget why mother of mercy i felt myself beginning to sway on my feet well gentlemen i need not trouble you with all that the truth was that bridget who was washing up my breakfast things in the kitchen heard me cry out she told me afterwards that when she saw my face she thought that i was dying i sat down a little then and she fetched me something and presently i was able to walk out well gentlemen that is enough for this evening he stopped abruptly we got up and went to night prayers Two well so far began father girdlestone on the following evening so far you see two things had happened to me first there seems to have been a kind of unpremeditated assault that affected me body mind and soul that was the attack by the rock then he began to lay siege more deliberately and attacked me in my meditation in what i may call the innermost chamber that anteroom to the transcendent world now i have to tell you of his next assault there was a rustle of expectation as we settled ourselves to listen i had found on questioning the others in the morning that they were in the same attitude as myself impressed but not convinced indeed strangely impressed by the extreme subtlety of the experience related to us yet there had been no proof no tangible evidence such as we are accustomed to demand that the incidents had been anything more than subjective at the same time there had been something remarkable in the priest's assurance as well as in the precise particularity of his narrative it seemed now however from what he said that perhaps we were to have more materialistic elements presented to us the result of course continued father girdlestone of the attack upon my soul was that i became terrified at the thought of any further act of introversion it seemed to me on reflection that i had probably overstrained my faculties a little and that i had better be more distinctly meditative in devotion i fetched down therefore from my shelves a copy of the spiritual exercises and set to work i began with a carefully objective act of the presence of god dwelling chiefly upon the blessed sacrament and then pursued carefully the lines laid down two or three times every day i should say i was tempted to fall back upon the prayer of quiet and each time i resisted it 
it was a kind of frightened fascination that i felt for it it was as if it had been a cupboard where something terrible lurked in silence and darkness ready to tear me if i opened the door of course i should have opened it boldly any priest of experience would have told me so at once but i did not fully understand what was wrong the result was as you shall hear all went well for several days i meditated with care making the prescribed considerations the preludes the pictures and all the rest observing to go straight from the intellectual act to the voluntary i became soothed and content again then without any warning the new assault was made it came about in this fashion i was meditating upon the particular judgment and had formed the picture as vividly as possible of my soul before the judge i saw the wounds and the stains on one side the ineffably piercing grace and holiness on the other i saw the reproach in the judge's face i seized my soul by the neck as it were and crushed it down in humility and penitence and then suddenly it seemed to me that my hold relaxed and all faded now this assault came to me in intellectual form yet i cannot remember the arguments it began if i may say so as a blot upon the subject of my meditation effacing the image of my judge and of myself and it spread with inconceivable swiftness over the whole of my faith the priest paused smiling steadily at the fire how shall i put it he said well in a word it was intellectual doubt of the whole thing a kind of cloud of infidelity seemed to envelop me i beat against it but it poured on thick and black there seemed to me no person behind it it was the very negative of personality that surrounded me after all it seemed to say to me yet without words or intellect you understand after all this is a pretty picture but where is the proof what shadow of a proof is there that the whole thing is not a dream if there were objective proof how could any man doubt if there is not objective proof what reason have you to trust in religion at all far more to sacrifice your life to it death too what is that but the resolving of the elements that issue in what you call the soul and when the elements resolve the soul disperses and so on and so on you know it gentlemen it suggested hostile things against our lord when i turned to the tabernacle and then on a sudden as it had done in the deeper plane it spread upwards to an intolerable climax i began to see myself as a dying spark in a burning out world and there was no escape for there was nothing but empty space about me no god no heaven not even a devil to hint at life in some form at least after death i looked during those seconds into the gulf of annihilation i cried out in my heart that i would sooner live in hell than die there and the vision if i may call it so of ultimate eternal blackness cleared every instant before my intellect until it was eminent upon me as a demonstrable certainty and then once more before that loomed out as actually intellectually certain i struggled and stood up saying something aloud the name of god i think 
while the sweat poured down my face it passed then at least in its acuteness there was the little domed tabernacle before me with its white curtains and the altar cards and the gilt candlesticks and a woman went past the window in clogs and i heard a bird twitter beneath the eaves and it was all for a while natural and peaceful again the priest stopped now gentlemen he said very slowly intellectual difficulties have occurred to most people i imagine how should it not be so if religion were small enough for our intellects it could not be great enough for our soul's requirements but this was not just that fleeting transient obscurity that we call intellectual difficulty it was to ordinary darkness what substance is to imagination what a visible concrete scene is to a fancy what life is to dreaming i know i cannot express what i mean but i want you to take it on my word that this visitation in the realm of the intellect was a solid blackness compared with which all other difficulties that i have ever heard of or experienced are as a mere lowering of intellectual lights it was paralleled only by my experience in introversion that too had not been an emotional withdrawal or a spiritual dryness as we commonly use those words it had been a solid unutterably heavy burden real beyond description and further i want you to consider my dilemma i had been routed in my soul and dared not take refuge there i had been overwhelmed too in my intellect and even when the first misery had passed it seemed to me that the arguments against the faith were stronger than those for it i did not dare to put one against the other a heavy deposit had been left upon my understanding i did not dare to sit down and argue i did not dare to run for refuge to the silence of god i was driven out into the sole thing that was left the world of sense again he stopped still with that tranquil smile i hardly understood him though i think i saw very dimly what he had called his dilemma yet i did not understand what he meant by the world of sense after a little pause he went on to the world of sense he repeated it seemed to me now that this was all that was left i determined then and there to drop my meditation and to confine myself to mass office and rosary i would say the words with my lips quickly and steadily keeping my mind fixed upon them rather than upon their meaning and i would trust that presently the clouds would pass well gentlemen for about two months i continued this the misery i suffered is simply indescribable you can imagine all the suggestions i made to myself when i was off my guard i told myself that i was a coward and a sham that i had lost my faith and that i continued to act as a priest what was especially hard to bear was the devotion of my parishioners as i knelt in front saying the rosary and they responded i could hear the thrill of conviction in every word that they uttered oh those irish the things they said to me sometimes were like swords for pain the masses they asked me to say i went to a priest at a distance once or twice and told him the bare outline not as i have told it to you he laughed at me kindly of course he told me that it was the effect of loneliness 
while i knew that at the best it was the work of one who bore me continual company now and who was stronger than i he told me that all young priests had to win the victory in some form or other that every priest thought his own case the most desperate yet i knew from every word that he said that he did not understand and that i could never make him understand yet somehow i set my teeth i told god that i was willing to bear this dereliction for as long as he willed so paradoxical and mysterious is the gift of faith if he would but save my soul and at last in a kind of defiance i began to look once more at my designs for the church i was to build you see gentlemen what i meant by taking refuge in the world of sense i deliberately contemplated never daring to face god again interiorly or even my own soul i would do my duty as a priest i would say my mass and office i would preach strictly what the church enjoined i would live and die like that with my teeth set better god beaten and denied than all the world beside in prosperity for the first time in the whole of his narrative, Father Girdlestone's voice trembled a little. He passed his thin old hand over his mouth once or twice, shifted his position, and began again. It was on the 1st of October that I took down my plans again. I had not looked at them for two months. I had not the heart to do so. Now, let me describe to you exactly the room in which I sat and the other necessary circumstances in the centre of my room stood my table with two windows on my left the fire in front and the door behind me to the right the windows were hung with serge curtains i had no carpet but a little mat only beneath my table and another before the fire it was in the beginning of october to be accurate the third of the month that this thing happened that i am about to tell you i awoke early that morning said my mass as usual with attention and care but no sensible devotion and after my thanksgiving sat down to breakfast it was then that i first had any uneasiness i was breakfasting at my table and beyond me in front and to the right stood a large basket chair i was reading some book or other and can honestly say that nothing was further from my mind than my experiences in the summer remember during two months nothing had happened nothing at least beyond that intolerable intellectual darkness then the basket chair suddenly clicked in the way in which they do half an hour after one has sat in them it distracted my attention for an instant it was just enough for that no more i went on with my book then it clicked again three or four times and i looked up rather annoyed well to be brief this went on and on after breakfast when bridget came to fetch the tray i asked whether she had touched the chair that morning and she said no all this time remember no thought of anything odd had entered my head i supposed it was the damp and said so while she was still in the room i went out to fetch my breviary from the chapel and as i set foot on the stairs leaving the door open behind me i heard her as i thought come out after me with the tray and follow me three or four steps behind all down the staircase i had no more doubt of that than of the fact that i myself was going downstairs 
at the turn of the stairs i did not even look behind by the sounds not clear footfalls you understand but a kind of shuffling and breathing and still more by the consciousness that there she was i judged she was in a hurry as she often was at the foot of the stairs i turned to say something and as i began to turn i will swear that i saw a figure out of the corner of my eye but when i looked it was simply not there there was nothing there do you understand gentlemen nothing at all i called up to her and heard her come across the floor then she looked over the banister did you come out of the room just now i said no your reverence well i made my theory of course it was to the effect that she had moved in the room as i came out that i therefore thought she was following me and that the rest was simply self-suggestion i got my breviary and came out as i came into the little lobby again there occurred to me the impression that someone was there waiting in the corner i looked around me there was nothing and i went upstairs gentlemen do you know that nervous condition when one feels there is someone in the room it is generally dissipated in ten minutes conversation well i was in that condition all the morning but there was more than that it was not only that sense of someone there there were sounds now and then very faint but absolutely distinct coming from all quarters sounds so minute and unimportant in themselves that i might have heard them a hundred times without giving them another thought if they had not been accompanied by that sense of a presence with me they were of all kinds once or twice a piece of woodwork somewhere in the room clicked as my basket chair had done a sharp minute rap such as one hears in damp weather once the door became unlatched and slid very softly with the sound of a hush over a piece of matting that lay there i got up and shut the door again looking i must confess for an instant on to the landing and as i came back to my chair that clicked twice gentlemen i know this sounds absurd you will be saying as i said that i was simply in a nervous condition very well perhaps i was but please wait once as i sat in my chair drawn sideways near the fire a very slight movement caught my eye i turned sharply it was no more than the fringe of the mat under the table lifting in the draught as i looked it ceased well my nerves got worse and worse i stared every now and then round the room there was nothing to be seen but the boards the mats the familiar furniture the black and white crucifix over the mantel-shelf my few books and the vestment chest near the door there were the curtains too hanging at the windows that was all it was a cloudy october day and rained a little about half-past twelve i remember starting suddenly as a gust came and dashed the drops against the glass at about a quarter to one bridget came in to lay dinner i am ashamed to say it but i was extraordinarily relieved when i heard her open the downstairs door she came in you remember three or four times a day to see after me otherwise i was alone in the house when she came into the room i looked up at her she smiled at me and then it seemed to me that her face took on it rather an odd expression 
she stopped smiling and before she set down the tablecloth and knives she looked round the room rather curiously i thought well bridget i said what is it there was just a moment before she answered it is nothing your reverence she said then she laid dinner i dined reading all the while and she brought in the dishes one by one i am afraid i hurried rather over dinner i made up my mind to go out for a long walk there was something else in my mind too well i may as well tell you it seemed to me that i should rather like to be out of the house before she was yes it was cowardly but remember that all this while i was telling myself that i had an attack of the nerves and that i had better not be alone except in the fresh air well nothing at all happened that afternoon it seemed to me as i went over the moors that all sense of haunting had ceased i noticed first consciously that it had gone soon after leaving the outskirts of the village i was entirely happy and serene as i came back into sight of the village at dusk and saw the lights shining over the hill the uneasiness came on me again it struck me vividly for the first time that a night spent alone in that house would be slightly uncomfortable by this time of course too the possibility of a connection between my present state and my other experiences had occurred to my mind but i had striven to resist this idea as merely one more nervous suggestion my uneasiness grew greater still as i came up the street i am ashamed to say that i stopped to talk three or four times to my parishioners simply out of that unaccountably strong terror of my own house i noticed too across the street that a face peeped from bridget's window and drew back on seeing me a moment later the door opened and she came out i did not turn or wait for her but as i reached my door i was conscious of a very distinct relief that she was behind me and as i went in she came immediately after me i'm very sorry father she said i haven't your tea ready yet i told her to bring it as soon as she could and went slowly upstairs with the horror deepening at every step i knew perfectly well now why she had waited it was that she did not like to enter the empty house alone yet i did not feel that i should ask her what it was that she feared that it would be a kind of surrender on my part and allowing to myself that there was something to fear and you must remember that i still was trying to tell myself that it was all nerves the rector leaned forward i am very sorry father girdlestone he said softly but it is past time for night prayers he paused but may we make an exception to-night and hear the rest afterwards the old man stood up and motioned with a little smile towards the chapel gallery end of story five part one